I have a couple things for you as well as we start. The first one is this. Now, one of the things, Element, uh, one of our primary goals is to also plant churches in the world around us. And so we have a church plant called Our Springs. Uh, we've been looking at and talking to some people in Thailand for a bit, and we thought that kind of fell through, but it actually came back around a couple weeks ago. And we're not, we haven't fully jumped into it yet, but they came back to us, and we have actually uh, funded a, a church planter. It's going into rural villages in Thailand right now, and we and we have funded his salary for the next year because his goal is to evangelize and plant churches, kind of like Paul did. Uh, and so we we want to be partly involved in that and what's going on, and hopefully be fully involved in that as it goes on. But we just want you to be aware because of your generosity, we are able to actually do that. So thank you for being generous, guys. Um, second thing I have is we as Element are hosting a Delta's Christmas store. Uh, Delta's Christmas Store, there are some kids who go to the high school across the street. We've adopted Delta as one of the ministries of Element. And there's some kids that go there who don't have much means. And what we wanted to do to help them, it's something they did in the past before, was a Christmas store where they could go and shop for free for certain things, whether it's for themselves, where they need a pair of pants, a pair of shoes, shirts, things like that, or it's a Christmas gift for somebody else they wouldn't actually be able to afford. And so what we are asking you to do is if you have something that you would like to donate for that, not the thing that sits in the corner that your cat has peed on for the last year and be like, yeah, I don't want this. I'll give it to those kids. No, we want something that's new or like new with tags on it is even better uh, so that they can actually go through and shop for nice things to be able to give away or if they need something themselves. Uh, the del- this store is going to be December 9th to the 13th, so if you have donations you would like to bring for that, that we need those in by December 8th. Also, if you have like clothing racks, if you are someone who goes to, I don't know, like craft fairs and you sell stuff and you have clothing racks and you'd like to let us borrow those for a couple days for that, we would greatly appreciate it. If you want any other questions answered, you can get some stuff at the Welcome Center today, ask questions about it, but we'd really like to do that. Um, I'm going to welcome you before I do something here. If you are new, welcome to Element. Uh, There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have it. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you will get some notes that reflect on what we'll talk about today, some questions to go back on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, all that goes with today's message, except for this which is, if you missed it last week, this is the pumpkin killing video. I love it when there's like a clap track. <laughs> My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? It's Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. And it says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who trust you and entrust in you that that would lead us into great freedom about how we speak about you and your goodness and grace that has been extended to us and that you intend for us, as your hands and feet to this world, to extend to others. That we would live out in great hope because of what you do and continue to do in our lives. Teach us to remember that, the identity that we have and who you are in your rescue of us. Amen. I'm seat. All right, so we are stepping into the book of Ecclesiastes. This is week 29. We literally have four messages left, uh, one month, and then we're done. And I think the end of the book has some of the greatest stuff in regards to life and wisdom and even still pointing out some of the dumb things that we do in it. But I think Solomon is moving us all towards this place. Today we'll have this connotation that does come out of last week, and that is wise people will be concerned and give generously to those in need. We'll look around us and see 
the ways that we are supposed to step into the world. We make plans of how to do that and begin to execute those plans. Uh, we are not people who, when others are in need, we hold it against them. We look at ways to step out and to help one another because God has first been so generous to us, because God has first rescued and saved us. It's not karma. We don't believe in karma. Karma is about working off your sin. It is all about grace and what God has done to rescue us. But there is kind of also that principle. When you are generous to other people and kind to others, you have a greater chance of having kindness and generosity come back to you as well. Uh, I have needed help in my life. Uh, You might have needed help or will someday in your life. And so as a people, we look at needs around us, step out into those needs and help one another. Uh, The week that I wrote this message, my friend John came over and we worked out of my truck. And the next week we were going to work on his. And I carved everything out of my schedule to make sure I was able to do that. Wise people are those who knows that there are people in need around us in the world. But the larger concept of what we're kind of go to today, and I think where Solomon is also pushing us towards, is our understanding of salvation. That we have received salvation and hope and grace from God himself. And we will speak about that to others around us. Uh, When we understand it better ourselves, we'll want to speak about it more. But we will also talk about how we never lack for excuses not to help one another or really to work in general. If you're prone to making excuses, you're never going to lack for a good reason not to make plans and not execute them. It'll be like, oh, it's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. Oh, uh, I'm too young. Oh, I'm too old. At this point in my life, I'm always too old, but that, that's how I feel. Oh, it's too soon, or it's too late. We may have already missed it. This is untrue of movies, by the way. A few months ago, uh, some friends were going to a movie. My wife was working, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. Then right when it started, I'm like, yeah, I'll come. I showed up 20 minutes late, still previews, so you're never late to see a movie. That's how it works. Uh, it could be it's too easy, it's too hard, it's too big of a project, it's too small of a project, it's beneath me. Sometimes we are also tempted to wonder if anything we do for God actually matters, because if God is sovereign, isn't God going to do what he's going to do anyway? Sometimes you will pray for a friend, and they won't get better. Sometimes you will pray for them, and they do. Sometimes you will give money or be generous to someone, and they do not change. We share the gospel, and maybe does anybody around us ever believe readily? And these are the kind of things we're going to talk about today. So open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Now, uh, it is true, we talked about last week, that wise people will look at what's coming. They can make plans and they will execute those plans. But sometimes it's frivolous because we, we think it's frivolous because we don't see how it always works out. It's how we cannot fully understand what God does in a lot of ways. And Solomon will relate this to how a child is formed in a mother's womb. That we go through a lot of stuff, but we don't really understand all that God is doing. One writer says that we are in our lives what he calls the fluid of grace. And I really like that. We go through various things, and God does his work in us to make us into who he intends for us to be. It's the idea that we should pursue tons of opportunities that come, and we should always be excited to see which ones are going to succeed and which ones aren't. Because life is all about grace and what God does can never be predicted. So we step out in many ways and just trust him and live in great freedom. And you can look and see wise people by their goals, their budget, their diet, their friends are diligent, but wise people also accept the limitations that we live under the sun. And we don't know all that is going to happen, but God does so we trust him. And we live our lives loving him with wisdom. We do work hard. We eagerly await to see all that he will bring to pass. But sometimes that waiting can be hard. 
right? Sometimes that way you're not really sure what he's doing in the end. And this is what we're going to talk about again. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 goes like this. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. When I first became a Christian, I thought the verb Ecclesiastes sounded really cool. So I thought I'd read it. And I read that verse, and I thought, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's like I remember going with my dad to Walter Park, feeding the ducks, and I'd throw the, the bread into the pond. If it went all the way around the pond and no duck wanted it, why would I want it back? If it's that bad that they don't even want it, why it made no sense to me whatsoever. Well, most commentators will tell you that this is a form of philanthropy. It's throwing out things into the world, being generous with what you have, giving to those around you. Bread cast upon the waters, helping those in need. And the point is that we are generous with others when they are in need. And many times if we are in need, sometimes we'll get help back. But even if we never need help ourselves, by giving generously to others, we'll help disciple one another to learn how to give generously and trust God in all that we do. There's this ancient Arabian proverb, and it says this, Do a good deed and throw it into the river. When this dries up, you shall find it. It's meant to be practical living out of the generosity that God has given to us. In Luke 6.38, Jesus says this, Given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, some people take this and they think, oh, you give what you get. That's not really what Jesus is saying. It is the idea in everything that we are called to be a generous people. And sometimes your generosity may not go over that well to other people. But it doesn't stop us from being generous because our generosity is based in what God has done for us, not always in what other people respond to how we have been generous to them. So verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11 go together and it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So here's he's connecting, cast and give, these two things together. Portions to seven or eight, again, are these gifts offered to those in need? In biblical times, it was customary. If there's a family in your village that didn't have a lot, you would invite them over, you would feed them, you would help take care of them. Uh, in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah uh, all the Israelites come back into the city of Israel and they're rebuilding the city and the wall. And in Nehemiah 8.10, Ezra is reading the law of God out loud. And this is what he then says. Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Nothing ready could also mean who has nothing. For this, is, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so to give these portions is to share the good things that God has given into your lives. And ultimately, what I would say is that the, that's the good news of the gospel, of God's rescue of who we are. And we're going to keep coming back to this idea through all of what Solomon says. To share portions of seven would be the height of generosity. Like seven is like this perfect number in the Old Testament. But to share eight is like to do even more. Like, you ever see this movie called Spinal Tap? Anybody? Okay, it's this mockumentary. <laughs> what? Yeah, you're old. Got it. Okay. So it's this mockumentary about this rock band in the 80s, right? And it's like rock bands, all the volume knobs on their amps, their guitars, they all go to 11. But they design their knobs, or go to 10. They want their knobs to go to 11. Because it's like, 10 is like, oh, but 11 is something extraordinary. It's something more. That's what portions to 8 is. You think, you're a tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> this is we do everything we can to touch and help and generously give to those around us and not use excuses for why we're not being generous. Martin Luther once said, be generous to everyone while you can. Use your riches wherever you can possibly do any good. 
Now, there is another way you can take verses 1 and 2 as a call to be generous, but actually even more. It's this idea of being prudent and making plans and executing them. This would come from what's called a business of agriculture in this world. And some older commentators, what they believe is that the casting of bread would refer to sowing your seed onto a floodplain, that the waters would come and eventually these crops would rise and you'd be able to harvest them. Then you'd be able to send those away to other places and trade for goods and some goods would come back to you. But the whole point in all of it was when you were blessed, you would share it with other people. It's a whole idea of nothing ventured, nothing gained. The point in the end was being able to be generous with those around us. So we are generous in what we have been given, but we are also generous with who we know. And who we know is the God that has rescued and saved us. Michael Eaton writes this. He says that the wise man will invest everything he has in the life of faith. Rather than holding on to all the things that we think we have, oh, look, God saved me. It's so great for me. Sucks to be you because you're going to hell, but God has saved me. That's not what he's saying. We're supposed to give. We don't hoard our salvation to ourselves. When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the good news that we are people who have been running away from God. We rebelled against all the things he called us to be. We have become the gods of our own lives. And so we've broken a relationship with him. But God comes to us in the person of Christ. He dies on the cross. He rises from the grave from all that separates us from God and from one another. He restores us to himself. We get new relationship and new life again. That death and resurrection of Jesus for us is the gospel. Everything that comes out of that are the results of what God has done. And so God invites us to take the understanding of our rescue and to invest it in the world around us for the kingdom of God. And so what Solomon says is not just primarily about money. Some of the things we'll attempt to do for others, when you take a monetary standpoint or even with the gospel, they may fail. Sometimes it will backfire right in your face. Someone may actually get mad at you. Uh, element, this has happened to us a few times when we've tried to help people in our community. Uh, some people you try and help and it's just never enough. There was one person that came to us through someone who knew somebody who got connected together and we kept trying to help and get rent where it needed to be and get food for the kids on the table. And eventually it was, I just need to go back to my family in Florida. So we were like, okay, let's help you do that. We got gas cards, set it up. And the next thing was, well, they wanted to stop like every 100 miles at a hotel and they wanted us to pay for every hotel at every 100 miles. We're like, what is going on? Sometimes things you do is just never good enough. But it doesn't mean that we cease to be generous just because people don't appreciate it. We are generous again because our generosity comes from who God is and rescuing us. It's where our focus is and what God has done to rescue and save us. We should never stop investing in what God calls us to do in the world around us in as many places as we can. And it's really strange sometimes in this world today, but even Christians are sometimes willing more to risk in business than they will for the gospel. Like we won't talk to our family or friends about who Jesus is in a relatable way. Sometimes we'll get mad and we'll talk of like judgment and anger and pointing our fingers, and that's just really never helpful. I am talking about the real world places where people actually need hope and healing and grace. Verses 3 and 4 says this, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. This is how a lot of people are in business, but also with the things of God. We are always looking and waiting for the right time. Oh, when's the right time? Oh, it's too cloudy. I, I can't share the gospel with them. Oh, oh, no, it's, uh, it's not the right. They're in a bad mood. I don't want to talk about the gospel with them. You ever said that about anything in your life? It's not the right time? People say it about getting married. They say it about having kids. Say it about mowing the lawn, feeding the cat, all, all that stuff, right? But really, it's even more so on letting other people know about the great hope we have in the person of Jesus. 
oh, if the clouds are full of rain, he observes the wind will not sow, and he regards the clouds will not reap. And I am not saying you've got to awkwardly interject Jesus into every conversation. Oh, the nationals won the pennant? Did you hear about Jesus? That's just weird, right? It's just weird. You, you talk about Jesus because it's a natural course of your life and the rescue that you have received and you're excited about it. These verses warn us what happens when we do not live the verses of 1 and 2. We fail to invest wisely. We fail to give generously to others in service of Jesus. We will never do much productive work in the world that lead to people come to know who he is. So Tolman tries to illustrate this as a farmer who stands in his field. And he's just looking out in front of him at the clouds are dark and gloomy. They're full of rain. It's meant to be a familiar thing with the cycles of nature. And there's a tree nearby. And that tree has fallen over. And it's in the way. Oh, I guess I can't really do anything. The tree's in the way. There are all these random events that come throughout life. They're all out of his control. But the one thing that is in his control is being able to sow and reap. And he will not plant seeds or harvest his crop because he's just standing there watching the wind and watching the tree that has fallen over. He's not farming the field that is right in front of him. Does that metaphor make sense? No? Okay, I'll keep going then. You'll get it by the end of this. The implication is he's trying to say that we, we, we're not going to guess when it's safely available to talk to somebody. So we do it all the time. We plant the grain. We speak about the gospel. We share in generosity by the way our lives look to those around us. Solomon previously told us in Ecclesiastes 3.2, there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planting. But this guy can't tell what the seasons are because he doesn't know what time it is. See, he's always using these excuses. In chapter 10, we looked at last week, there's a guy who is foolish and lazy, and he won't fix his roof. Here, the farmer in chapter 11 refuses to work, but it's completely different. He keeps watching and waiting, but never sowing and never reaping. He's always like making the plans, but he's never executing the plans because he always thinks that it's not the right time to do it. Sometimes we do this in our lives. Like, um, I, I know some guys who want to pray with their spouses, right? I want to pray with my wife. I want to, I want to love her in that way. But it's always like, oh, it's not the right time. Oh, it's not the right time. You just got to step out and start doing it. Because rather than getting on with the work, all the farmer keeps doing is hoping and waiting for these better conditions. When's it going to get better? So I feel it's a better condition. And by talking about this farmer, it shows what our lives look like in terms of talking about Jesus. We keep waiting for a better time. We keep waiting for something to change rather than stepping out in the times and the seasons that we have been given. The analogy of this farmer is very practical. It's a warning, and it can apply to a lot of different situations. Like, how do we respond when things seem out of our control or when something bad might happen if we share the gospel? How's that going to come back to us? Some people get so paralyzed with fear that they procrastinate doing anything instead of doing what they know that God has already called them to do. And we always have some plausible excuse for the delay. Oh, maybe then we in a better mood tomorrow. Maybe the weather will be better tomorrow. And we will never accomplish anything as long as we think that way. Anytime we plant seed, there's a chance that the weather will be dry, that the seed will shrivel up and die. At harvest time, there's always the chance that a flood or a storm might take away all the grain before it can be brought into the barn. There is no guarantees under the sun except for the grace of God. And rather than watching the wind or the clouds, imagining all the difficulties and waiting for better circumstance, we should love God enough to live in a way that he calls us to and to honor him in all things with whatever he has given us in this life. 
What that means is we get involved in places we can to share the goodness of who he is. We show mercy to someone in need. We start friendships with neighbors. I have a friend whose kid was on the sports team, and the coaches were kind of knuckleheads in it, and he was very frustrated. And I said, well, why don't you invite them over? And then ask them, what are their frustrations? What are their hopes? What are their fears? Maybe you could even pray for them. And he's like, you're asking a lot. And I said, maybe the whole thing happened for this reason, just so you could share the gospel in this place with them. I didn't get a response, so whatever. (laughs) We tell others about Jesus. We pray that God will use our relationships to lead others to trust Jesus too. We are not called to hold back out of fear, but to step out in faith. Not faith that all of our own efforts are going to make all the difference, but faith that God will take what we use and offer to him in our lives and he'll use it for his glory. We don't get to be a people who use difficulties of life as an excuse for not living for him. Derek Kidner writes this, If there are risks in everything, it is better to fail in launching out than in hugging one's resources to oneself. Philip Ryken writes this, When it comes to kingdom work, we should always be venture capitalists wanting to take risks for the glory of God. Verse 5 says this, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He starts with cast and give. If you don't know blessings or disasters, what they're coming, we still cast and we give. Then he shows what happens when we refuse to act. Like when we stand back, the farmer watches the weather, but he never does any farming. And now Solomon has another analogy. When you're afraid, you don't know how it's going to work out. You can trust God in the midst of it because he is the one who has control of all things. We trust him. The word spirit in verses 4 and 5 is this also translated as wind. It's a word called ruach. It's a beautiful word. And so he's connecting these two analogies together. The first points to the wind as the mysterious purposes of God, right? We do not know. You live in Santa Maria, right? You don't know which way the wind's going to blow tomorrow or what it's going to smell like for that reason, but you don't know, right? The wind's going to blow. Jesus uses the same analogy when he talks to this guy named Nicodemus about being born again. John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so the second thing he talks about is this human spirit and the way it animates a body in the womb, the way its spirit comes into a mother's womb. Now today, we know a lot more than Solomon ever did about how a child is grown in a womb from conception to birth. But the knowledge doesn't diminish our sense of wonder at what birth actually is. So Solomon says a very pro-life, non-PC statement that the child in the womb is not just a blob of cells, it's a living spirit. It's why Psalm 139 verse 14 reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so he says, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Meaning, not just with this child, but in everything we do in our life that goes beyond our understanding. Solomon is wanting us to see not only the mysteries of creation, but the providence of God. In 2004, the Hubble Space Telescope, it takes this picture of this tiny sliver of space. The aperture is left open for 11 days. And when they get this picture back, the scientists go and they count upwards of 10,000 galaxies in that one sliver, each one containing probably 100 billion stars in it. How do you even explain that, right? How do you even... Think about what that even looks like. Job 5.9 says, God who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. The whole universe is full of mysteries. From the smallest atom to the furthest star and everything in between. And what God does in our lives is no less mysterious. And so when we don't know something, God does. And so we trust him. We live out in generosity and hope, sharing the good news of what God has done in us, not knowing in the end how he's going to bring those things to fruition, but he always does. 
But we always still have a lot of questions. I mean, personally, you might be like, but why did God take away this thing that I really wanted? It could be someone you loved who has left you, or maybe somebody died, or maybe you had a job that you lost, or why did God give me this thing I don't want? I've woken up the last three days with this shoulder pain, or, or this voice, right? This shoulder pain, which is terrible, or we have two cats. Why? You know, we have this guy. <laughs> why, why, why did uh, my prayers go unanswered when I, and my dreams unfulfilled? But there are also all these joyful mysteries that we just take for granted that we really don't know the answers to. Like, what made the Son of God willing to suffer and die to bear our sin upon himself and our shame upon himself to go to a cross and die naked and bloody? where we should have gone? What made the Son of God willing to do that? How about why did God choose us of all people to believe in Jesus and receive life in his name? How does the Holy Spirit enable us to believe the Bible really is the word of God? How about why does the gospel go faster and further into some places than other places? What is God's plan for our nation that seems to be so steeped in sin? Why does sometimes suffering produce so much more character and fruit? The question is, what on earth is God is doing? And what's Solomon's answer? You do not know the work of God. Who makes everything? So what's his conclusion? Verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. He says what he has said multiple times in the book is, you don't know all the answers, so what do you do? You live for him, in his name. You trust him in what he has called you into. Every time we encounter something we don't know, God knows. And we should be reminded that he is God and we are not. Philip Ryken wrote this, and I love it. He says, when we do not know what God is doing, we may still trust that he does know what he is doing. That's great. When when Ryken wrote that, he pointed out that some people will also use the mysterious ways of God as an excuse for also not living out and speaking about the gospel in our lives. Like if God is sovereign again over everything in the universe, including what will happen in the future, why bother doing anything? Why do we even pray? But Solomon teaches us that God is sovereign. But he also says, you'll never reap if you never sow. In the New Testament, we are told that God's people are his ambassadors in the world. We're his hands and his feet. God uses us to bring about his purposes. So we live these things out. It means that we as a people get to live boldly in Jesus' name. We get to be creative. We get to try all kinds of new things of speaking about the gospel. And sometimes it won't even work. But you know what? It's okay because God is in control. We do everything with trust and joy, serving Jesus in a world that so desperately needs his hope, and his calling. We trust him when we don't know what is happening. Over and over, when you see this analogy in the scriptures of sowing and reaping in the Bible, it refers to what God sends his people to go and do with the message of the gospel and the word of God. One of the most famous parables Jesus ever gave is the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. When Jesus explained this parable to his disciples, he told them, Mark 4.14, the sower sows the word. And so, one of the things that we ought to be sowing in each other's lives is the understanding of the gospel that comes out of the word of God. But how will we sow it if we don't know the word of God? Which means we need to read it. And we need to immerse ourselves in it and talk to one another about it and memorize the scriptures. I think when we become a people immersed in the scriptures, I believe it helps us to better listen to the leading of God's spirit in our lives. And then we will go out and we will plant seeds by teaching the scriptures to other people in practical ways, to our families and our, and our children and those in need in our workplaces and our family. We sow the word, bread, scattering seed. When we give someone, it could be giving a Bible or maybe praying for someone or just sharing a verse with somebody. 
could be going into prisons or nursing homes. could be sharing it on college campuses. I think it also happens when we support sound biblical teaching that isn't five steps to the better you, but this is Jesus. How about we love and follow and serve him because he rescued us? And so we talk about those kind of things. We will do this in mission work. And mission work takes place around the world as well as our own little communities. Santa Maria is a mission field. We speak of this hope to everyone in the world. And there is no single way to share the gospel. The best way is to do it anyway and every way that we can. And I told you last week, Halloween's a great example of that, right? You get to, if you don't have kids, open your doors, hand out candy, be joyful. You know, don't be like it. Someone sent me this picture there, uh, going out with their kids, and there was a sign in front of this house, and it said, no candy, Jesus loves you. And I'm thinking, ho, ho, couldn't you at least wrote, no candy, Satan loves you? I mean, at least have them, you know, be angry at the right person, right? Or are they so like irritated that Jesus might love somebody else and not them. No candy for you because I'm mad because he loves you too. I mean, what is the deal with that? (sighs) Anyway, anyway, there will be times when you speak of the gospel and you won't see a harvest and you'll wonder why. And then sometimes, well, God God will do something on the other side of that. You're just like, where did that even come from? Like Thailand right now. For decades, there have been people and they've been speaking about the gospel for decades and decades. And it's like no movement. And then all of a sudden in the last year, it has just kind of exploded. Uh, we'll, and we'll talk about more about that over the next you know, few weeks and months as we work through this ministry that's there. But maybe even with your own friends. I get talking to them about the gospel. And you're like, is it even working? Because my friends are all still a bunch of knuckleheads, right? Nothing's changing in them. What, what do I do? God encourages us, though. Lots of promises throughout the scriptures that when we trust God and we walk with him as his ambassadors in this world, the Holy Spirit will do a work with the word of God. I'm going to tell you a short story. It's about a guy named Luke Short. No Anyway, he was 103 years old when he became a follower of Jesus. So Luke Short is sitting under a bush in Virginia when he happened to remember a sermon that he heard preached by the famous Puritan named John Flavel. So he starts to think about this sermon, and it melts his heart. And so he asks God to forgive his sins through the death and the resurrection of Jesus through understanding of the gospel. So Luke Short becomes a Christian. He lives three more years. And then on his, then what he says, what he wants on his tombstone is this. He says, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. 103 years old, he comes to know Jesus. 106 is when he dies. Now here's the remarkable part of the story, okay? Luke Short remembered this sermon from John Flavel, and it had been preached 85 years earlier. And it had been preached in England, not even in America, so in another part of the world. Nearly a century passes between Flavel's sermon and the 85 years later Short's conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. God says this in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There are so many times in our lives we will spend things saying, oh, I'll wait for the time is right to tell them about Jesus. Guys, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He is. And we trust him, which means he will bring all things about in its proper time. And again, I am not saying to awkwardly try and inject Jesus into every conversation. Don't be listening to a friend talk about their life and just thinking, okay, I've got to say Jesus. I've got to say Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, Super Bowl, uh, Jesus? Yeah, don't, don't do that. Speak in normal ways of how God rescues you and resets your life to be generous. Speak in ways that actually make sense. And for Jesus, you'll see that it's not just the words that he planted, but it was his very own life that he gave. 
to bring us back. This is our understanding of the gospel. All that separates us from relationship and God and life is taken care of in the person of Jesus as he rescues us. The harvest of the Bible that it always goes to is his saving work of us, that we get eternal life for everyone who believes in him. Jesus does not offer his grace to portions of seven or eight. Jesus offers grace to millions and billions. Jesus' volume knob goes to billions, not just 11, right? Jesus now sends us out to be a people who plant and to sow. And he is the Lord of the surprising harvest. You might be surprised someone comes to know Jesus. Like, what? Jesus is never surprised. Never surprised. We do not always know what God's going to do with what we sow and what we scatter, but we trust him with it. And I think when we simply keep planting and trusting him in what we do, one day God's going to reap the harvest of his own salvation. One commentator says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, give a portion to seven or even to eight. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. What God will do you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. Which is, I think, what Solomon is going for. I think all these chapters in Ecclesiastes are pushing us to the place where we begin to trust God in his wisdom that he gives to us. We trust him in what he has done to rescue us. As if we are a people who understand that we have been saved, we should be undone by that rescue of how God brings us into relationship with himself again. This is why when we talk about communion, it's the reminder of what God has done. You break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me to bring us in again to, for our rescue, for the only hope that we have ever had. And we, as a people, get great freedom because the salvation for other people doesn't rest upon us or our words or how we say things. It rests upon what God is doing and what God has done. So we then get to be a people who, in great freedom, get to speak about who God is. We don't have to worry about holding back. What if I didn't say it right? Or what if I didn't do the exact right thing? God is the Lord of the harvest. You get to live in great freedom, trusting him as you live out his great grace in your life because you yourself has been, have been saved. And there's nothing that can take that away from you because he is the one who rescues and calls us to himself. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And if you need prayer today, there's going to be some deacons in the back. And if you're in a place where you're like, you know, I know I'm supposed to reach out to this person in my life. I know I'm supposed to be telling them about Jesus in somehow, in some way. Well, go and pray with them. And hopefully you'll come to an understanding of what the best way is to do that. Not to awkwardly interject it into a conversation, but to be able to put it in a way that actually begins to make sense. Like in a way where you're, where you're actually involved in somebody else's life. So when you speak the gospel, it makes sense to where they are. Because the gospel speaks to us exactly where we are of our need for rescue and hope and life again. And we, as a people who believe in the gospel, are those who get to live in such joy and such hope because God has rescued us. It's not about what we have done. It's about what he has done to rescue us. And that should teach us to be a people who live in great freedom, who are more than happy to go out and be generous with what we have first received, whether it's things and stuff and money. But more importantly, it's also about the great rescue that we have received. So we speak about it because we are excited about what God has done to rescue and save us. And if you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you. Now, there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. Uh, There's some food outside. Grab some snacks. Take some sermon notes. And 
Really just start you know, thinking of that with one another. Who are the people that God is calling you right now to speak to? Is there someone who's actually a believer in your life that, you know, that's kind of running off the rails and God's calling you to go talk to them and, and encourage them and bring them back in again? Maybe there's all these different things that God is encouraging you to go and begin to be speaking about. Trusting first in who he is so you don't have to be afraid. That you can step out in hope and grace and life. Because our God is good. And he calls us to be his hands and feet to the world of his grace and his hope and his life as well. So let's be those who start sowing the seed. Don't look and be like, oh, look, these clouds are so gloomy. Oh, they're in such a bad mood. Oh, maybe they're in a bad mood because they need to know Jesus. It's like, you're in a bad mood. You need to know Jesus. Let's talk about that, right? Maybe their team lost the pennant. I don't know. What? You're a tough crowd. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your rescue of us for our salvation and our hope and our life. Father, I ask that the things that you call us to, that we would readily see, and that we would naturally be a people who are generous with those around us because we understand your generosity first given to us. That we would be a people who learn how to be discipled by you and disciple one another as well in how we live out in this world for your name. That we would speak words of grace and hope and kindness and restoration. That we would understand that you have called us to be a redeemed people who live this life in ways that reflect who you are. That you haven't just saved us and set us aside so we can wait for some final day. You saved us to send us on mission for you as your ambassadors to be generous and kind and sharing your great hope with everyone around us. And so teach us to be a people who do that in real and practical ways. Who honor you because you have first rescued and saved us. And when we get fearful and when we want to pull back and we don't understand what is going on, I ask that you would teach us to see the gospel of your rescue of us more clearly and that that is what would reset us to come back to be the people you call us to be because we are undone by your grace and as we understand your salvation more clearly we would then begin to live out our lives in ways that glorify you and spread the good news of who you are to everyone. Teach us to live out our great salvation in ways that touch the world around us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.